Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The True Christian, with a message titled, Don't Lose What You've Gained. So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. It's often the case that people who are exceedingly blessed fail to understand the wealth of what they have. You know, sometimes experts call that barriers to gratitude. And those barriers may include a great many things, but one of those barriers is always envy. The idea that others might have what we don't have, and if we only had what they had, then and only then could we be thankful. There have been all manner of studies done on barriers to gratitude, but here's an interesting point. You would think that anyone who's been born again and has been given the staggering promises of adoption and ruling and reigning with Christ that we would lack no gratitude. I mean, what could anyone have that's greater than what we have? But here is a sad truth. A great many Christians do feel like, you know, what others, even non-Christians might have, might be greater than what they have. In spite of the fact that Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, gave no less than nine blessed statements to his people, a great many Christians wonder if their lives are really blessed at all. And perhaps, just perhaps, there are people who don't know Christ, whose lives are fuller, we say, more joyful, more meaningful, more exciting than ours are. And that sneaking feeling that the Christian life is, well, too restrictive, and that if only we incorporated what others had, well, you get the idea. Well, I've entitled today's message, Don't Lose What You've Gained. You know, sometimes financial experts warn their clients about things just like that. But you may not know this, but there have been studies done of people who have lived, as they say, at the top. Then they make foolish decisions in which all the gains they had acquired, because those gains weren't seen to be valuable, they were destroyed because of foolish decisions. Well, I'm not going to do a study of either the lack of gratitude or, you know, people who achieve success in their lives and then have treated that success carelessly. I am speaking to Christians who have the extravagant riches of the gospel, but who might be looking at the unsaved world and fascinatingly assume that they're lacking something the others have. So we're studying Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10, and let's just look at the first verse, verse 6. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Now, the key words here are the words received and the word walk. You know, the first is a reference to something that's given, not something that's earned. And in that sense, the example that I've used of those who have achieved success and then treated as a matter of little interest Well, it's not the appropriate illustration, rather the correct illustration. Well, that's the person who's either, let's say, won the lottery or has been given a vast real estate holding or something like that. The fact is, we received Jesus as Lord. It was a gift. Christ and his gospel was given. We merely received. But once that's occurred, says Paul, you need to continue to walk in him. And the emphasis here is that we need to cling to Christ as if we've received a pirate's treasure, a mountain of wealth given to the man or woman of faith. All of us need to reflect on our salvation and reflect on the riches that have become ours. Recently, a friend described it to me as follows. He said, imagine you're traveling on a road in your car and suddenly all around your car, cars appear and force you to stop. They look at your dilapidated old car, and they take you from that car, put you in a luxury vehicle, and bring you to an indescribably large inheritance, and that's salvation. Now, walk in that. Live respectively. 
Cling to Christ. Cling to the richness of what you have received. Don't lose what you have. So let's read all of Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, the truth is, the Colossians received the gospel from the foundational teachings of Epaphras. They were taught that they were saved by grace. It came through faith. And they needed to live in that grace, continuing to trust in Jesus, even as they did when they were saved. Notice that Paul uses four participles here to describe what he's talking about. The first is rooted, the second is built up, the third is established, and then finally the fourth is abounding. Each of those four participles provide us with a picture of what it means to remain in what we have received. Now, first we have rooted, and that word comes from the world of plants and trees. The roots of a tree provide the tree with both stability as well as nurture. And Paul is saying, like a tree, keep being nurtured by Christ, learning of him, receiving all you need of the life that is in him. The second participle is built up, and Paul moves from the image of a plant to the image of a building. But in this case, the foundation is laid, but the building needs to continue. Build on the foundation, he says. Don't let the foundation just remain there without building and carrying it on to completion of that which has begun. The third participle is established. And in the Greek, the word means to increase in inner strength. It means to establish a greater firmness of character in which the things that we know to be true are strengthened. That is, know more about your faith, learn to trust God more, understand the promises in greater depth, learn to constantly increase your knowledge of these things. And the fourth participle is abounding. The word comes from the word abundant. And so to abound means what you have exists with abundance. There's no shortage of the thing. It's everywhere. And what is it that there is no shortage of? And Paul answers, there must be no shortage of thanksgiving for your salvation, for the inheritance that's yours. Begin the day thanking God for how he's delivered you from darkness into light. Overflow with gratefulness that he's prevented you from following the worst impulses of your flesh. Thank him that he's not treated you as your sins deserved. Marvel at the promises of the future that await you. Thank him that your heart of stone has been replaced by a heart of flesh. Overflow. Make it a practice to never stop thanking. Don't let a day go by in which you're not reflecting on the advantages that have come to you in Christ. Indeed, I put it this way. Fight for thankfulness. Fight against abundance of thanks being depleted. Stack your reservoir with ever more reasons for thanksgiving. Well, that's going to help you center on the blessedness and the riches you have. And that will also prevent you from falling away. And practice what Paul teaches, and you won't give a hearing to rival teachings. Now remember, the issue in this letter. These Christians in Colossae were being tempted by the rivals to the Christian faith. Now, for the first time, Paul mentions that, Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, before we get the three forms of the problem, notice the word captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. And the word Paul uses here is a word that was commonly used for plundering a cargo ship. And the image is the opposite of what we might expect. You know, I suspect a great many Christians who incorporate ideas from other religions or other worldviews 
or the spirit of the day or other philosophies while they think they're plundering the wealth of other worldviews. I remember reading a very liberal leader in a denomination speaking of his experience of seeing pornographic depictions, carvings that are found in some Hindu temples, and then openly writing that we need to incorporate those things into the Christian faith. That's what he thought. I think he brought great damage to his denomination. He argued he was plundering the treasures of other thought systems out there. Notice that Paul thinks in the opposite way. It's not that Christians are plundering the best of other worldviews. Rather, other worldviews are plundering your Christian faith. You're in danger of losing what you've gained. Your wealth is being taken from you. And how is that the case? Well, the answer is, it is the case because you've given up the supremacy of Christ over all things. See, instead of recognizing Jesus, you know, as the first chapter of this book has taught us, as the one who's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the head of the church, the one who is supreme over everything, the one who holds all things together, meaning that all things can only exist if he wills that they should continue to exist at each moment in time. Instead of reveling in that truth, the eyes of this person wonders if the others have something that they don't have. And that's allowing their vision of Christ to be plundered from them. Christ, slowly, piece by piece, is becoming just another religious leader or another prophet, not the Lord of heaven and earth. And with that, the treasure that you once had is being robbed from you. You're being plundered. My dear listener, please pay attention to what I'm saying here. When you feel tempted towards syncretism, to incorporating foreign ideas into your faith, you're not enriching yourself, you're impoverishing yourself and the incomparable wealth of Christ is being stolen from you. You're allowing the greatest treasure any man or woman can possibly have to be meaninglessly stolen away. You're in danger of being robbed of everything that truly matters. Are you searching for that little special gift or stocking stuffer for the kids this Christmas season? Well, you're in for a treat because our friends at Laugh Again have just the thing, Jake and the Christmas Surprise. It's a new children's booklet filled with hilarious childhood Christmas moments that'll have your kiddos in stitches and maybe you too. It's got full-color illustrations, reflection questions, and Bible verses to spark conversations about the true meaning of Christmas. It's not just a gift, it's an opportunity to draw your family together and bring you all closer to Jesus. This special resource is easy on the Christmas budget because it's free this month. Choose between this or our Christmas devotional, Quiet Spaces for Christmas, at backtothebible.ca. Choose one of them as your gift, and if you'd like the other, it's available for purchase. May this coming Christmas be a season of joy for the entire family. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive or plunders you. And then Paul goes on to mention three things, and we need some time to look at all three of these temptations that might impoverish an individual of genuine faith. 
The first is philosophy and empty deceit. Now, at first glance, it might appear that Paul is opposed to the study of philosophy, be it at a university or some other form of philosophy. So let's ask the question, is Paul opposed to the study of philosophy? Well, we do well to examine the Greek word that Paul uses here, as well as specifically looking at what he might be referring to. And the first thing that I noticed from the original Greek is that the word philosophy actually has a definite article attached to it. So a literal translation would have Paul saying, see to it that no one takes you captive to the philosophy. So it seems that Paul has something very specific in mind, although reading the text today, well, it leaves us uncertain as to what specific philosophy Paul was referring to. Well, some have suggested that there was in Colossae some movement which the leaders of this group called their teaching the philosophy. And from that perspective, we might think that Paul was targeting their specific group. Now, that is possible, but others have pointed out that the ancient Jewish historian Josephus spoke of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Essenes as the philosophy among the Jews. And so from that perspective, there are those who argue that Paul was warning against the philosophy of those Jewish factions. Well, still others point out that there were in those days magicians, people who dealt with the magic arts, and people called them philosophers. Indeed, magicians were called philosophers, so is Paul warning against becoming involved in the occult? And as I've said before, and I say it now again, During the course of this study, we can't be absolutely certain about the Colossian heresies. But I mention this here so that we understand that because Paul uses the definite article, he's speaking about the philosophy, that it seems quite likely that Paul's not making a blanket statement against philosophy per se, but rather he's speaking about a very specific philosophy. And I mention that because, as some of my listeners surely know, There are Christian philosophers today, and some of them have been doing it to the glory of God. And furthermore, there is within the Christian faith a long tradition of even studying, well, people like Aristotle and others. And there are those who argue that at some points, the ancient Greeks did come close to understanding some universal truths about God and the world. Well, why not? God gives wisdom to all. Notice, on the other hand, when Paul speaks of the philosophy, and then he pairs it with another phrase, empty deceit. He's speaking of a philosophy that is erroneous. It leads to deception. And here's a charge to Christians who don't just study philosophy, but also perhaps psychology, sociology, other social sciences. Look, it's your goal. When you study in a university or a college of some sort, to be so deeply immersed in your Christian faith, first of all, so that you study as someone who is a Christ follower first and brings all other thought systems under obedience to Christ. And I say that from my own experience, doing undergraduate studies in psychology now so many years ago. You know, I noticed some of my Christian fellow students, they accepted the philosophical basis of the psychology they were studying without being rooted in their faith without recognizing that some parts of what they were studying was inconsistent with the truth in Christ. This is one of the reasons I continue to urge high school students, look, before you go to university, spend some time in a biblicist Bible school of some sort, which you can enter deeply into the foundations of your faith and learn your Bible very well. I have found, and I'm alarmed by it, 
How many so-called practicing Christian psychologists, for instance, function on a philosophical foundation that is at odds with the faith explained in the Bible? And alarmingly, many don't even know the difference and aren't bothered by it. In short, a great many people have become syncretists and they don't know it. They accept the notion that human beings are inherently good or that human beings are not created in the image of God. They simply use psychological foundations they've been taught without examining them according to the foundations of the eternal truths in Christ. They're syncretists without knowing it, whereas they should have been profound scholars who measure all thought against the eternal truths of the glorious Christ. And so Paul was warning them first about philosophy and empty deceit. Well, let's now look at the second warning and see to it that no one pillages your faith, he says, according to human tradition. Again, just like what I said about philosophy, Paul's not condemning traditions per se. Look, all human civilizations are based on shared human traditions. Tradition provides meaning. Tradition can highlight what's good and what's evil, what's to be prized, what's to be rejected. Traditions can also bind people together and make shared meaning possible. But notice Jesus when he taught against the Pharisees' traditions. Matthew 15, 1 to 6. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father or mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. See, the key here is, Not that Jesus thought that all human tradition was wrong, but rather that a tradition had been developed in the Jewish community. And of course, this wasn't the only one. There were others as well, but it allowed for people to break the commands of God. Unless we only blame the Jews for doing that, let's understand how quickly we in our day replace biblical commands with traditions. Look, I live in North America, and I do find that a number of Christians celebrate Halloween, a tradition given to the celebration of witchcraft and horror and other elements that Christian people should immediately reject. It's not just traditions like that. Sometimes traditions are brought deeply within the church. Remember, James speaks about a practice that had developed in the church to seat important people in important seats and to seat poor men and women in the back. See, I know of churches today that carry on that kind of a tradition. I have one in mind for sure. It's a popular one. It had movie stars and singers among them, and all of them had special seats prepared for them, and the common people were placed in the back. See, traditions can develop, and it can be absorbed by the way culture absorbs it, without serious thought about the meaning of what we do. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul does command the church to hold on to the traditions that were taught to them by the apostles. See, traditions by themselves aren't wrong. What's wrong is incorporating traditions that are at odds with our faith. So now finally, after philosophies and then tradition, Paul speaks next about the elemental spirits of the world. And that word elemental spirits, that's one word in the Greek, and it means basic principles that underline something. And it is quite possible here that Paul means that underlying both philosophies and traditions can be 
underlying elemental spirits, even demonic spirits, that plunder the Christian faith and take away your pure devotion to Christ. Notice how Paul ends this verse. The verse ends with the words, and not according to Christ. That is, reject all that is not accordance with, or all that is not in harmony with Christ. Listen to what Paul taught, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And I say that especially to intellectuals who are listening to me, who make your living in the realm of thoughts and ideas, premises, conclusions. Every idea needs to be captured for Christ. Somewhere on your wall, you need to put a quote from the Dutch Prime Minister, Abraham Kuyper, in the 1800s, who said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. Whether it's politics, science, philosophy, regardless of what it is, Christ is the supreme ruler of all. Act like you believe it. Know it. Let no one plunder this from you. Don't lose what you have. Let me just end with verses 9 and 10. For in him, that is in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him, who is the head over all rule and authority. My goodness, what do you lack? Don't you know who Christ is? Don't look at envy and anything else. Simply don't let anyone plunder the riches that belong to you in Christ Jesus. You have quite a treasure. Thanks for your message, John. You know, the idea of God's sovereignty over all things can be a challenging one for some of us. Is there something you might say that would help us navigate this truth? Yeah, let me get right back to, uh, you know, where we were in Colossians. And the whole issue, I think, is the supremacy of Christ over all things, over everything. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we use the word sovereignty only to mean that in the end everything will work out, rather than that Christ rules over everything. And once we get it into our heads, how, how great is our Savior, how vast is his Lordship, Um, how he rules over all the meticulous things. So get a sense of Christ and how great he is. And then as you get that vision in your own heart, now you're at a place to begin to look at the incidents that, you know, come to you in your life and the struggles that you have. Because now you're looking at it through the prism of the greatness of Christ. And that'll change everything. And you'll be able to deal with the sovereignty of God in all things. I think that's the answer. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The True Christian, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Keeping God Central summarizes the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. The teaching of God's Word via radio broadcast, social media, print, and video resources is not just about data. We want the Bible truth to be known, the truth that leads to knowing a growing relationship with Jesus. Our mission, with your help, is to effectively and faithfully share the good news across Canada and beyond our borders. We're so encouraged by the response of listeners. One wrote, your show is a constant that provided an anchor in an otherwise upside-down world. 
Through your show, I've learned so much more about Jesus, the Bible, and our faith. You know, we really can't do this without you. So please consider supporting this Bible teaching ministry with a financial gift today. Visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.